You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir With Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. We have an incredible lineup here today. Um, even if we'd only have one of our guests, it would be incredible. Whether my cohort in this whole program, Rabbi Yitzchak Kowalkowski, who is the chief chaplain in Waymart Prison in Waymart, Pennsylvania, or Rabbi Yitzchak Scheiman, who is the CEO of Hinda Helps, a, a institution that deals with incarcerated individuals in every stage, helping them, supporting them from the initial arrest all the way to re-entry, helping they, them and their family. And especially we have with us Judge David Avraham Volvik, who is a, uh, a, a sitting judge, not in what we would call the standard judicial system that we have been talking about for many, many weeks here, uh, the judicial system that we know needs help and uh, needs reform in many ways. He is actually a judge in a court of indigenous persons, uh, a tribal court in, in Alaska, where he sits as a, and what is your official title? Judge David, what is your official title? So we know how to uh, how to how to how to even speak with you. I... Um, well, uh, most folks call me Judge V because my name my last name is a little weird for folks, so that works. Um, but f- the official names is uh, Presiding Judge for Saint Paul Island in the Bering Sea. And I'm a temporary chief judge here in Sitka, Alaska, mentoring some new tribal citizens to hopefully uh, take over my position. Hmm. So, so you actually have two hats, right? St. Paul Island's an extremely interesting place. Um, their traditional name is Unangan, but you would be more familiar with Aleuts. And they were in first contact uh, with the Russian colonists and furriers. And um, it eventually did not go so well. And so these folks were enslaved because they were incredibly skillful hunters of fur-bearing mammals. And the Russians in their big boats and with their muskets couldn't quite catch the little critters. And so they enslaved these folks and moved them onto St. Paul Island. To do, uh, to basically be slave labor to catch these uh, the furry animals so the Russians could have their big hats and, uh, right, and, and, and the women could have their coats. And their stoles, yes. yes. And so um, uh, they are a small island isolated out in the Bering Sea and probably... 98% Ali or Unangan. Uh, so even though they were sort of like taken away from the mainland, this has now become their, now that the Russians are gone, this has become their place of living and they live according to the Alut traditions, correct? Well, um, yes. So they were for good or for ill has become their traditional homeland even though they're not originally from there. So it's, it's kind of an interesting situation. And they do live according to a lot of the traditional uh, ways. But like I said, they were first greeters, the first in contact, and were heavily missionized by the Russian Orthodox Church. And so... Um, they are now also citizens of the state of Alaska and the United States of America. So they wear many hats, I guess is uh-huh. what I want. So, uh, so it, it would be a misnomer to say that you are just uh, a, a judge of tribal law, because it sounds like they have a whole a potpourri of various influences 
governing them? And what, what is it that you, before we get to the, to, to, to mm-hmm. the indigenous people, uh, what we call, you know, you'll be mochal, the Indian law, which I, I know is a verboten term, what you are practicing on St. Paul Island is standard Alaskan state law justice, or it's justice of a, of a different sort that you are meeting out. Right. Well, it's it's an it's an amazingly creative opportunity if you're catching the drift. So I'm given a broad canvas to paint on and I have various laws to draw on. But the tribe's court is the tribe's sovereign court. So no other law applies there. State law or federal law could be persuasive. Um, And someone could argue, you should follow something like this, but it is the tribe's internal law that applies. And, um, you know, some situations can be confusing uh, because there's the Russian Orthodox traditions, there's the older Unangan traditions, and then there's the Western that has come in. And so I guess my job is to make the Shabbos Cholent. (laughs) and come out with a solution uh, that folks can live with and feel that is right. And so I get to draw on all these different ingredients to come up with my decisions. Uh, So it's not like you were, so in other words, it's not like you had to immerse yourself and become slavishly connected to any certain system, but you're familiar enough that you understand what the conversation is, what the arguments are, and then you use Solomonic Jewish wisdom, so to speak, to figure Mm -hmm. out what makes the most sense. And when you sit there in this tribunal, are are you basically ruling by yourself or do you have some elders that are there with you? That's a great question. Um, I've sat on appellate panels And there, I am there with other tribal judges, and and one in particular was an elder of mine. Um, But the two courts that I'm primarily sitting on now are for good or for ill, single judge presiding. And so it's just me. However, if I feel like I'm uncertain and feeling like I'm out on a not strong branch, I can call upon elder advisors and they even have elder courts that I can certify a question to. Now they will advise me, but the final decision has to be mine. So I can't just rubber stamp what they say, Um, but there's resources to help me when I'm not sure what to do. So 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 we've been talking about your work in St. Paul Island but also Sitka together, or we're just zeroing? Right now, I thought we were talking about only about the St. Paul part of it. Well, they're very similar. Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, they're very similar jurisdictions. Uh, so what, we, what you just described in St. Paul Island, you, you meet out a similar type of justice when you are in Sitka uh, in the same way, right? Correct. Okay. So, I mean, tribal courts, uh, what, what the um, Chiddush... Uh, that they bring to the table, and maybe Rabbi Scheinman will groove on this, is um, it's the parlance now, the in buzzword is restorative justice. And many different venues are borrowing circles as a way of peacemaking and a restorative justice ideals instead of just punitive justice and uh, not not rehabilitating the person as a member of the community. And in small villages, you don't have the luxury of banishing someone because they stepped in the wrong stuff, if you catch my drift. And so over the millennia, Native people have had to figure out how to repair and reintegrate folks. And so all these new buzzwords are really based on native indigenous justice systems that have existed since time immemorial. Now, now, now Judge, we had a conversation last week when we were planning this, and you mentioned uh, sort of an infamous case 
that sort of underscored what would have been the native approach. Do you remember mm. what you were talking about? I this? do. Yeah, so I why don't do. you talk, why don't you mention that case <laughs> and and talk about how that's reflective of this? It seems to be newfangled restorative justice, but it's actually rooted in. Then, as you say, the native culture. Talk about that oh. case for, uh, for a ah. second. Well, before we go there, we had a law having to do with a murder, and I believe it was in the territory of South Dakota. And uh, spotted till spotted tail killed lone wolf. I can't. I keep forgetting their names, which is a shame. But uh, there was a murder, and was one of them uh, Rocky Raccoon? No, no, and they were both. They were both tri- <laughs> they were both tribal citizens. Okay. okay, it was native on native violence, and they wanted to take him to federal court. And the folks who were intelligent about uh, Indian law and international native law argued that no, he needs to be brought to tribal court, and they were correct. Uh, and the crime took place on tribal land. There was no reason why it should be handled in, forgive my slur, um, just not my words, but white man's court. Why would it be there? And so it was removed to tribal court. And the tribal sentence is restored. It's designed, even though it's impossible to bring someone back to the living, at least that we're aware of right now, uh, to restore the family and to make them whole particularly economically, because when you take a life, you take a breadwinner. And so their sentence involved uh, that the murderer owed the family horses, quality horses, quality blankets, uh, provisions. It was not a cheap sentence, but it was repair. And the it hit the news that this was the tribal resolution for a murder. And it was pointed out that these savages must not have the authority or the seichel, the intellect to handle serious crimes like murder. And uh, the long and short of it was the adversarial solution was to hang him. And I thought that was ironic because when you really think about hanging, and forgive me for a second, it's an incredibly brutal way to take someone's life. And yet the folks who are championing, wrapping a rope around you and doing this thing, recalling the ones with the restorative sentence, the savages. And it provided a moment of insight for me uh, of the kind of justice, justice, I wanted to pursue in my lifetime uh, well, is, here was is with tribal court. Tribal folks walk into the courtroom. I'm the one sitting on the bench because I don't look very tribal necessarily as far as being indigenous or Native American. Um, but amazingly, I've been accepted. And uh, I think part of that, as you had read, was uh, both Sitka and St. Paul were missionized by the Russian Orthodox Church. So having a beard and a little black hat on your head is actually very familiar looking. So I look a bit like a priest uh, and have had funny experiences where folks uh, confess to me. but wrong priest priesthood. <laughs> I see. Okay. The other piece is it's not necessarily pushing against what happened uh, as far as the taking of jurisdiction of major crimes and and uh, by outside jurisdictions. It's more of what Sandra Day O'Connor was talking about: is how's that working for us? Okay, and you see in our prison systems and our uh, penal systems, it's not working very well. So these lessons, as far as restorative justice, their time has come, almost because the the other system is breaking under its own weight. Um, We need a different solution. And so going in this direction is a very interesting. From this case, 
uh, there was such a public outcry about how soft and savage the tribal resolution was that the federal government passed what's called the Indian Major Crimes Act. And they swooped jurisdiction away from tribal courts um, over major crimes like rape and murder and, 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 you know, terrible assaults. And so they, in a way, um, extinguished tribal inherent sovereignty over resolving their justice concerns so, from this famous case. Yes, and, 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 and what you're doing is really pushing back, using um, what you know from the vestiges of tribal law, the spirit and idea, and you are finding that the elders are agreeing with you. Somehow, you, and we're going to get to your story in a second, mm-hmm. an Orthodox Jew from Philadelphia is somehow able to act as an arbiter from these sovereigns and for and to see what ideas can work and, and wonder how they can be applied. But I think most of the people listening are who can't, they don't see you, but we see you, uh, mm. Judge, and you look like a rabbi. You look as a right. You're wearing the, the you're wearing the the kippa of of of, of that would Kosovitsky would wear such a kippa when he would lead the services uh, on, on on you know on, on, on the high holy days. You know what mm. I'm saying? So so the question here is how mm. does how does this yid from Philly somehow come to sit as a? a... And I like to start the story in utero. Because like all beginnings, we got to start. In <laughs> I had heard once uh, a midrash that a malach, an angel, teaches you the entire Torah while you're inside of your mother's belly uh, by candle. And then right as we're born, the angel gives us a little potch under the nose and we kind of forget everything and we're born as a, as a babe. But what I like about the story um, is it's strange, but that in a way we kind of already know a lot of things in our bones. And we're spending this lifetime kind of relearning. And it's not so much learning new things, but we're uncovering what we already kind of knew, if you follow me. And so with that, I guess I uh, was uh, a lot of Jewish people, Neshamalas, are on fire for uh, the concept of justice. And so I came out of my mother's womb uh, remembering I, I must seek justice and I can't stand injustice. And I think this can be uh, the fire that drives a lot of Jews uh, to be at the front of the line in marches and the authors of every kind of ism that's out there to try to fix things. Um, this tikkun olam, the malchus shakai. We just have a, a burning itch to try to fix that which is broken. And so if you want to look for injustice, uh, all you have to do is pick up our United States history book and take a look at westward expansion and manifest destiny and sea to shining sea. And you see that there was a steamrolling of legal rights and the physical bodies of people who were here. So as a younger man looking for my own way of life, I was searching for roots and I was looking for old cultures, ancient civilizations, if you will, And I was looking to do justice. And so Hashem had a good smirk and a laugh. And he slowly led this suburban Jew all the way to the coast of Alaska. And eventually uh, was um, immersed with the folks, the tribal folks that I was working with. So two things. One, there was an elder... um, uh, silver-haired Clinton elder who would visit me every day in my office. 
And he did not speak a whole lot. So he had to teach me patience with silence, um, which us Jewish folks don't necessarily have naturally (laughs) send you through the roof. Um, Very much on display here on our program. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) But um, he would repeat kind of uh, a saying to me often. And he would say to me, he would say, David, our people, our history, our language, our way of life, it's very important. You must help us. Okay. So I felt like an itinerant carpenter here assisting with my legal training. And uh, the Flinket people that I was working with here in Southeast do have a tradition of culturally adopting folks that maybe they value. And so like Jewish mothers, Flinket mothers love to adopt doctors and lawyers. So here was this young lawyer and I was approached uh, by an elder. She was not a chief. Um, she was very spiritual um, and, and a leader of the people. And she did lose a son to a drowning accident. And his name was David. So I'm not the spitting image of David. I can tell you that. But she felt I was a Gilgul or a reincarnation of her son. And so she asked permission to culturally adopt me. And it was a very high honor And I agreed. And before the ceremony, uh, she had the name of a deceased chieftain picked out for me in Tlingit because they name folks like Jews do to carry on the name. So I was not to become a chief. I was to be named after a chief. Um, And she was visited in a dream by her grandmother. And they were talking about me in the dream. And when she, the grandmother asked my name and Jesse gave her the name she picked out for me, the grandmother grew stern and said he must get his own name because he's from his own tribe. And when Jesse, the woman who was to adopt me, awoke, she came to me and said, I was visited and I want to know what tribe you are from. And from there, Mark's words clicked in my head. David, our people, our culture, our language, our way of life, very important. You must help us. Rang true for the Indians I worked for, but it rang true for the Jewish people that I was born into. And so began an entire process of reclaiming and tshuva of, you know, here I was looking for ancient roots, searching the earth for uh, old wisdom traditions. And by uh, the grace of God, I was born into one of the oldest, wisest traditions on the face of the earth. And so I dove in wholehearted. So the and so once you were challenged by or or, or asked by your adoptive mother mm-hmm. for what your roots were, you then said you did you go back to your parents? Did you open up? Did you what did you do? You went No, to- listen, I was raised in a conservative Jewish uh neighborhood in Philly. And so I kind of knew who I was, but not really. And so if someone, an elder, asks you about something, you kind of want to be able to answer more than just what I had been given as a young person. And so I, I started to research, who are we? What tribe am I from? And what are the teachings of that tribe? What is my language? How do I want to raise my children? All those, you know, what about our way of life? Um, Because assimilation and conquering doesn't just afflict indigenous peoples. Uh, it's, It's a process going on for all peoples and figuring out what's tomorrow going to look like. 
And I'm one of those weird people that think, uh, well, a tree is strong if it's got good roots. So you can have all the flowers you want on top, but when the wind blows, you need roots. And so that doesn't necessarily mean going to a time machine and go back in time, but woe to people who don't learn from their ancestors. And and, and that caused you to uh, go to yeshiva, right? This is you, or did you decided that you were going to take a sabbatical and go study? Yes. Yes. So I decided to turn myself into a uh, hothouse for tomatoes, a Bale Chuva Yeshiva. And I took a sabbatical uh, from being a judge in the practice of law to learn as much as I could uh, about our people, our history, our language, our way of life. Um, and then. Uh, uh, Hashem, I started having little kidlets, and we all know when the kids come, so do the bills. <laughs> <laughs> now, for Rabbi Shimon's, I know Rabbi Shimon's yeah. edification, yeah. Um, the yeshiva that you went to was? Uh, Teferis Bechorim in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Which, was, yeah. uh, which was part of the Lubavitch uh, network, right? Correct, correct. So uh, that was the, you know, I, part of my uh, process, my repatriation process um, was uh, connecting with the Chabad Shliach in Anchorage, Alaska, a wonderful man and his wife, Yosef and Esty Greenberg. And they had a profound influence on my growth as 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 a Jew. Um, and 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 the, you spent uh long enough there obviously to more to not just discover aspects of, of, of Yiddishkeit but also to train yourself in Talmudic thinking and learning uh I I have um spielkes in my horizon <laughs> so I have a hard time sitting uh but you can't help uh to sharpen what we were given called the Yiddish cup. So I, like I said, I think from that little angel inside our mama's belly, we are able to digest law and uh, deal with uh, vagueness and ambiguities and to ask questions and to try to dig. What I really love about Jew being Jewish also is the chicken soup common sense of our uh, of our ancestors, and like, let's get down to business. Um, so there's the flowery aspect of law, but I really love tribal court because it's a problem solving forum, and I like just sitting down with people and saying, let's let's talk. Let's talk turkey. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so the Yiddish to get together came back to Jesse. The um, your do you do you consider her your mom, Jesse? No, listen, gentlemen. I'm a Jewish boy. I only have <laughs> one mom, and you uh, know it. But she was my adoptive mom, and a friend, and uh, a teacher. I would say mostly she, to me, she was a teacher. And so did you, did you convey to her that you were from the, the priestly tribe? Um, I may have told her that. Um, <laughs> I will say that because of the very strong missionary influence in Alaska, being Jewish meant we were from the chosen people. And I was asked to lead um, blessings at meetings and to bless the food. Um, very often, and Flinket and Hebrew sound very similar. They have similar sounds, and so uh, they're some of the only people. When I tell them my daughter's name is Nachama, they go, "Oh, Nachama," and everybody else like completely butchers it. <laughs> I see. I, I will tell you a funny story. I was once in the Carolinas uh, for a judicial training. And they were having uh, a pulled pork 
festival. I don't know if you know what the heck that is. I'm a Southern boy, so I know a little bit. Wow. I never heard of such a thing. So I walk up and they have a Chazer from Chazerland on the spit, you know, turning over the fire. And they say, and now we'd like our esteemed guest from Alaska to bless the meal. And 40 people step back so that I can give the bracha on this uh, unbelievable scene here. So I just threw down a little Modani. They liked the Hebrew, and that's what they needed. Here. So Modani on the... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rabbi, Rabbi Scheinman, I know that uh, you, you have other uh, other uh, responsibilities. Uh, what would you like to ask uh, Judge Volokh? Well, um, I, I think the uh, if there's any way that other judges could be trained that work just in regular courts uh, doing this type of um, service in the regular American system, if it's working, um, and uh, you know this is something that slowly but surely you know make a uh, a pilot program somewhere, and I was wa- I wondering if if that's something that that you've thought about or if you've reached out to anybody. Um. Interestingly, the St. Paul Court is a pilot program, um, definitely for many other tribes. I don't know if we've, uh, our outreach has jumped over the aisle into state and federal courts. Um, we have, uh, I cannot pronounce it in Unangan, I think it's Tian Kanguk Court, it's called. And it's a healing to wellness court. Um, Again, giving folks a chance to stay in the community um, because there's another weird thing I'll describe very quickly. um, And that is uh, Indian removal. Removal was one of the major steps of clearing the West uh, for American expansion. And so it it leaves post-traumatic stress disorder in indigenous people's spines to be removed from their land. And so the high incarceration rates, particularly in Alaska and Indian country all over the United States, is a kind of weird, subtle removal that's going on. So many Native folks are being lifted out of their community and incarcerated in penal institutions. So there's this massive removal going. And so our program's designed to try to keep folks on island, uh, ideally surround them with holistic healing, because what we're finding, and I'm sure Rabbi Scheinman is seeing this, is a lot of criminal behavior is really antisocial behavior, okay? So follow me on this. In law school, we're taught uh, intent of a crime is called in Latin mens rea, or like a serious Yetzirah, okay? It's an evil intent, actually. It's not an urge, it's an intent. And so many of the folks in our uh, penal system don't have evil intents. They have antisocial behaviors and habits that are running them afoul of society And we're not quite sure where to put them and breaking into a store is a crime. And so we put them in jail, but we're not really getting to the disease of what's driving this antisocial behavior. And part of what we're finding is that it's trauma and especially historical trauma. And if you're gonna understand that concept, Jews and Indians uh, can talk to you about what it means to survive a major, major calamity and to have historical trauma passed down from our caregivers and some say even in our genetics and epigenetics. These traumas are passed down, they hurt, and without healing them, folks can turn to self-medication. They need to dull this pain from trauma. And then next comes alcohol, opiates, drugs, and the story goes on. 
And now we have someone in jail as a criminal, but really uh, what's going on is medication of trauma. And so our program is designed to heal folks, not punish them. Yeah. And I want to say, and then I'll shut up in a moment. Sorry, I get going. No, no. Um, in general, it, we have saved some lives. Um, and it has had incredible successes that have moved me. Um, but I would be lying if I said we also don't have, we, if I told you we don't have struggles. And, and if we didn't have some failures that broke my heart. So it's not a, it's not a silver bullet, but it's a much more humane, educational, and healing approach to antisocial behaviors, which often come from medicating trauma. Well, you know, I think what you're saying, first of all, about this intergenerational trauma is a very common idea now, and it's become very in vogue especially as vis-a-vis the African-American community, um, that they are, despite that there is no slavery, that they are still suffering in a way from this inter, uh, this pre-generational uh, trauma that is carrying over, uh, despite the fact that many of them have been raised uh, in, 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 in relative freedom. Um, but there's, and, and we are hearing this a lot in, mm. in the United States. So it isn't, I think the, if, I think the, the America is ready to hear this and they are already hearing this. Um, mm. and, and studies again have, in terms of ourselves, you know, again, in terms of the Jewish situation, there are mm. psychological studies about a second generation Holocaust, uh, mm families that also sort of indicate that but not on the level that you're saying and i think that mm-hmm. that's something that but i do think america has embraced that what i what i'd like to wrap things up mm-hmm. here and, and i think we could spend hours with you because you are not only not only do you have an incredible story but you speak in a way that i understand why um the native americans uh listen because you the spirit takes you when you begin there's there's you you, you, know, you know when you're holding the conch or when you're holding the uh when, when you've got the uh you know the, the totem in your hand i can see that what you speak in a way that that resonates but i i would i, I want to get sort of nuts and bolts with you can you give us give us give me an example of a case that you presided over Give us like a standard case. I mean, not a standard case that you would be called in on and, and how, and, and quickly explain like what you, your ideas would be in the resolution. I mean, you know, we, we, Judge Judy and Judge Wapner and all these other. Of a lot of what I do. So what a situation um, that arose recently and is, and is similar for a lot of different families, although the facts will be different was um a, f- a man and a woman came together in a relationship and it didn't last and they had a child, okay? So now we have two separated parents. And in this case, the mother uh, was diagnosed as being mentally ill. And so she was found to be an unsafe caretaker for this little uh, native child. And so the father uh, stepped up and took over raising the child when he was very, very young. And at that time, the father was dating a woman. Uh, They were not married. And so this woman comes into this little child's life when he's about one years old, and she too raises him his entire life. And then the father and his uh, new uh, partner have another child, and who's also raised in the home, who's this boy's brother. Fair enough. And so at around 13, the father is lost at sea. And this, if you're hearing a common theme, unfortunately, uh, the sea gives and the sea taken. And drownings are an unfortunate piece of death around here in Alaska. Because the elutes, they're still working in, in, in some sort of trade that still they're still going on these boats in other oftentimes ways, right? yes and yes. he was linket and he was a fisherman so he's this he makes his living out at sea and um he was lost at sea and so 
uh, everyone was terribly bereaved. And, um, you know, this boy is, of course, crying on the shoulder of his mother, but she's not really his mother. She's just the woman who's been raising him his entire life. His real mother swoops down from up north, and she's been diagnosed with very serious mental illness. And her rights were never terminated. And she says, give me my son. And the police say, oh, my God, she's kind of right. And so this young man was whisked away from his family, from the traditional lands, um, and the only mother he's ever really known, right days after his father is pronounced missing and dead. And he is taken by his biological mother, uh, who is disturbed. And so my court is often called in uh, by, say, the psychological mother uh, to get custody or guardianship. Uh, so that she can bring this child back home. And because of, so it's, she it's was, a complicated this mother, is also, this mother is also from the Native people. The one with um, the She issues. actually is not, but she has been culturally adopted like me and is heavily engaged in the community. But okay. as far as being a tribal citizen, she is not, but she, she's a part of our community. She's, she's in. And she always fostered this child's tribal identity. I'm talking about the one, the one who swooped down. She was. Oh, she is native. Um, she was a tribal woman. Um, and so that helps for jurisdiction. But she was um, sadly afflicted with an unbelievable mental illness, which made her dangerous. And so my court has to patch up these situations for families. So, um, and so what, what did you rule in this case? Uh, I ruled uh, that uh, both the uh, mental illness of the biological mother presented a clear and present danger to the child and that the psychological parentage of this mother who is never married, she's not really a stepmother, so she's in a twilight zone legally. And so I recognized her as family even though she didn't have the blood and even though she didn't have the ring on her finger. And so that's the flexibility of tribal court allows me to rule the right answer. Where even you think, though you think in Western way, court, yeah. the mom had all the authority and power in the world. If you follow. I, I do. I do. Yeah, I do. And then for healing to wellness, my cornflakes is uh, folks who are in and out of the justice system, uh, and particularly on St. Paul due to alcohol, uh, self-medicating with alcohol. And so, so they our job into, is to help them to get sober. So basically, it's like disorderly conduct. They, they, Correct. So in other words, uh, under the influence of alcohol, they'll, they'll smash a window, they'll get right. into a fight. Uh, Slash but, tires. But okay. when they're sober... They're quality people. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, is, 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 is it an Alaska State Trooper who arrests them on St. Paul Island? Well, yeah, the nice part is we have a great relationship with the city, the municipal police and this municipality of St. Paul. And so when they have a choice, they can exercise what's called field discretion, where to send the problem. And Thankfully, 99 out of 100 times, they'll send the problem to me to try to early intervene and problem solve so that someone's not left with a, a scar on their criminal history. Uh, so who pays for and that? Let's say let's say this fellow slashes the tires and you know, does this damage and havoc. Um, so what do you rule in that case? First of all, we're, the guy who got, had his tires slashed, who's going to pay for that? Insurance? Is, is, is there some, some way that he's going to get compensation? I understand that the person who acted, acted under influence. Right. Wasn't necessarily aware of everything they were doing. Sort of like we have the halachos of Purim, when somebody is, uh, acts under the influence. <laughs> no, it's actually, that's the way it's brought down in Shulchan that, that for certain small claims, you actually can't 
claim damages. But, so there is a precedent about when someone acts in such a way that you can't necessarily, mm-hmm. but that's on a Purim day when everybody is doing it. Normally, it's not considered a, 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 a tour. So what, what, would you, what would you rule in such a case? Or what did okay, you- well, I, I had a case very much like this. And I think uh, the first rule of manners is to fix what you broke. Uh, we learned that one uh, again by our mamas, and it's in the Torah, and it's in traditional indigenous law. Uh, so I rule, uh, in particular, there was one case where somebody was drunk and pounding on a door and broke it off its hinges. And getting a door to St. Paul Island and having it fixed is not a simple matter. And so it came to a pretty hefty price tag. And so that's just part one. You've got to pay it back. And, um, and so we'll issue a debt. And oftentimes folks don't pay on it. Um, I oftentimes give folks the option. If you don't got cash money, you can give back to the community and I value their hours. And so they will have to work uh, on behalf of the island tribal community and we will value their hours and they will work off the debt. Um, So therefore the guy whose door was smashed will get money from the community chest, which will be paid that, that um, abscess of the money from the community chest will be filled by the work that the drunk fellow will do for the community. Correct. Yes. And, um, and then there's certain times uh, where, say, every resident in Alaska gets what's called a permanent fund dividend, a PFD, or there might be uh, other kinds of payouts uh, of, let's put it this way, free money. And so I will seek to garnish I see. Those kinds so there was of, some, yeah. some of the welfare or, or reparation type money that's being given to some of these persons, there is money somewhere. So you're going to be able to discover that and funnel it back to the person who was damaged. Correct. And since it's kind of free money, we're not kicking anyone in the knees. It was like, it's a, a, a windfall. So it, by living in Alaska, I get a windfall every year of their oil royalty. I see. So don't tell me you don't got money to fix that guy's door. Uh, you know what I mean? I see. So, yeah. So, so and that, of course, that takes uh, knowledge of all those the labyrinth of laws that 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 are that are involved there to to be able to tap into that literally. And and that's where I can help. Um, many tribal judges, and I think rightfully so, are lay judges, meaning they're not attorneys. Um, But I was able to learn a few tricks uh, that can be helpful to the tribal courts I sit on. And as I mentioned kind of at the beginning of our talk, my job has always been to mentor and train tribal citizens to take over. So I never got into this to be like, oh, well, here's my Parnassum. Awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so or, do, and, do, you, do you see yourself, do you see yourself, you know, you, have, have your students arisen? Do you see yourself like packing up soon? Well, interestingly, I did have one who took over as chief judge at Sitka and I stayed on as associate judge and we worked together as a team. And I have three new uh, judges to train. He just retired. So I'm back to being chief judge and I have three new judges. <laughs> and so my goal in Sitka actually is to work myself out of a job. But the funny thing with St. Paul in particular is folks kind of decided they don't mind having Judge V there. And even though I'm not a member of the tribe and may look a little funny on the bench, I don't have a dog in the fight, if you understand what I'm saying. And and St. Paul is an island of 400 people. And so everybody knows everybody's business inside and out. And on top of it, they're often interrelated. So to have a stranger sitting there helping you in the doctor's office doesn't stink. And so even though 
my mission is to train a younger person to take over for me. Um, nobody has stepped up and the island kind of likes that I'm there. <laughs> I see. And um, wow. Well, uh, it sounds like they are, you say the kinder are coming. You have three little children. Um, uh, how are they managing out there? I mean, how are they managing there? <laughs> well, unfortunately for my children, they have a bizarre father who's on an interesting path. Um, and I think they've kind of gotten used to it. Um, but it is, I think, a challenge now that they've reached their teenage years to be the only Jew in their high school and one of the only Jews on the island. And wherever we go, uh, we are sometimes the first Jew someone has ever met in their entire life. That they knew um, Jewish. <laughs> that they knew. Right. Maybe. Um, but, you know... The other half of that, uh, the other angle to that is we are constantly aware of who we are. And so I think that imbues my children with a strong identity. Um, and I'm still waiting to see how it's all going to turn out. But it is a mishmash. And we used to go uh, for holidays to Anchorage or Seattle or even New York uh, to kind of get a shot in the arm a shot of chicken soup uh, with the major holidays. And uh, since the pandemic, that has been harder and we've spent more and more time isolated here. And so um, it'll be interesting, but thank God they're healthy. Thank God they haven't thrown me, thrown me overboard. Yes. And, and maybe they'll grow up to be bridge builders as well. And, and I'm sure they're reaping the benefits of the natural beauty, the, the fresh air, uh, the type of stuff that um, we know is is good for body and soul as well. Well, Judge, you know, again, I think we could spend a lot, a lot of time here with you. I know that uh, you've set the record straight and you've also given us a way for us to set our records and to maybe put things uh, in a different form. And hopefully people will hear this, will hear your message and will resonate in ways that we can seek to have incremental and maybe major major change so that's about can it my friend uh, can i make one just <laughs> an indian a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar <laughs> into a, they walk into a podcast together and uh, yeah, exactly. you never know what's gonna happen take care thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.